0: If you have a Bible or a phone app, open up to John chapter 1. That's what we're going to talk about. And I don't want to take too long. And I don't want to preach a huge thing tonight. I know that people have been... um, kind of slowed down by the snow and we actually thought about canceling tonight and then we got here and Dave was like, there's 10 inches of snow at my house. So I thought maybe it would be a good idea to cancel. And I was leaning toward it just because it's really difficult for me to see Anna in pain right now. And so she's in this place where um, she's on the floor most of the day. She can get up, she can go to the bathroom. Um, today she took a shower while standing, and I was—we were cheering. Because she took a shower while standing, so we're just waiting for those discs to get back where they need to be. And physical therapy doesn't start till the third, and so give me an opportunity to cancel something, and I was like, let's cancel this thing. But Anna was like, no, nobody else is canceling, so um, go and do it. And I appreciate you guys being here. First, or, or John chapter one. Starts like this in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made in him was life. And that light life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, if you're a big talker. I'm gonna ask you to slow your roll tonight and not turn these conversations into whatever's been on your mind today. I wanna to ask you to just, in those little groups that you're in, or by yourself, if you're sitting by yourself, read that paragraph again, read it in your group, and ask yourself, what stands out to me? But don't ask yourself, what stands out to me like, um, I already know this. I've done this exercise before. Ask what stands out to me out of what Jordan talked about and then what I talked about and find something that stands out to you that's different than what normally has stood out to you in that paragraph. Does that make sense? Find something that stands out to you that's different. You will have, I'm going to give you two minutes to do that, which will probably turn into five. So read it together. Find out what stands out and why it stands out to you. Go. One minute. Good job, everybody. You did it. I want to ask you, and there are no wrong answers, unless you say something really, you know, just, just yeah, right. I'm just kidding. Um, what stood out to anybody? Shout it out. What stood out in John, the beginning of John 1 to you? The what? The word is Christ. The Word is Christ. And only Christ is with God in the beginning. Yes. That seems to be an important piece. <laughs> Anything else? We have to note that, because we'll come back to that. Well if there's God then there's us, where is language coming from? Prophet, word, yeah. Is that what you wondered? Yeah, that's what I'm Yeah. Cool. John said, "If there's God, what'd you say? Then where, does come from? where does language come from? Well, somebody made it up. I'll tell you that. Anything else over, Laura, anything? No. Wolfies, Wolf pack. I thought the tense was interesting of um, the darkness has not overcome it, but the whole other previous sentences are past tense. Yeah. Yeah. So it switches to, it switches to what sense? Past yeah, it's it's like yeah, starts in past, yeah. comes to present. We need to note that as well. I was reading about this. There's no verbs in the actual first sentence. Um, We added verbs in the beginning, but basically John one is just like in the beginning, the word kind of like I am, or kind of like in the beginning God. And so I hope you drew this correlation. Because we spent the last two Sundays talking about a God who just like, out of nothing and water float that was floating somewhere, created everything. But not in a scientific way, in an origin story way. That these people in captivity said, who is our God? How are we supposed to live? What are we supposed to do? And out of all of that came this, oh, we serve a God that's behind all the other gods. That if the stars were gods, this God was behind that and separated those stars. If, if, there, was, if there was a God of anything that did anything that was referenced by anyone around us, that was doing something for us that we were sacrificing to, this God was behind all of that, creating all of that. And that's where the Jewish, that's where the Hebrew religion begins. Why does it begin there? Why does it begin like that? Well, it begins like that because the Bible's not written in order. Because Genesis came later, but the story of Abraham is a story where Abraham is is existing where all of these gods are existing. And and, and according to the story, God speaks to Abraham and says, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Abraham, leave your father's household, which for us is like, if Xander was told to leave his father's household, he would say, can I take my Nintendo Switch with me? And he would be good. But in that day, leave your father's household meant leave the belief system. Leave the family. Leave the way of thinking. Leave the generations. And God went as far as to say, leave all of that. And I'm going to make you a father of a household of many generations. And your generations will outnumber the stars is what God told Abraham. Well, the stars were gods in everyone's mind. And now Abraham's being told the people who come from you, the generations that come from you, they'll be greater than even these gods because I am a God who is behind all of that. This is the first recorded time of someone writing down beyond this origin story, which goes through all of Genesis and we'll get there with Noah being an origin story and how almost every major (laughs) religion had its own flood story and how these ones are a little bit different, but how they're all the same When we get to Abraham, we find someone writing down that this is the first time in human history that a God spoke to a person. And we see this whole story unfold because of that. And as that story unfolds, the Hebrew people unfold and the Jewish religion unfolds. And they start to wonder and wander. And every time they're in captivity, they're engaging with a God who fights on behalf of the oppressed. And they're saying, we want to know this God more. But we don't know how to live the way that this God wants us to live. Because it seems that this God wants us to live free. But we don't know how to live free. And so most of post-Abraham stuff is these people learning from God how to live free. Which means the book of Leviticus, you know, when they're wandering in the desert, even though this is kind of pre all of that, what we would read is very like rigid and rulesy is telling the people out of slavery how to live a free life, how to not live like a slave. If somebody steals from you, don't cut their hand off like the Egyptians did. Kill a pigeon. And then you're good. Stuff like that. And so Abraham introduces us to a people group meeting a God in covenant with them. There's a whole ceremony where God passes through a fire and Abraham's supposed to do half of it and God's supposed to do half of it. And even in that ceremony, God does all of it. And then God asks Abraham, sacrifice your kid to me. To which Abraham says, okay. I'll sacrifice my kid to you. Why is that a no-brainer for me? Because everybody sacrifices their kids to the gods. That's the point it's reached. They get up on the hill, and according to the story, God stops it this time and says, we're not going to do that anymore. I'm going to be a God who provides for you without the need of violence towards your generations. And so Abraham becomes a father of generations, and those generations look back to their origin story to find out who this God is, and they memorize it, and they read it, and they study it. And they can answer questions and they know that their God is different from all the other gods because their God is speaking life and calling them toward peace constantly and constantly and constantly, which is why they're in constant desire for a savior. They're called to live in peace, but they're waiting for someone to come do the dirty work for them because they can't do it. They're a kindergarten team with a wiffle bat versus... Ohio State football, varsity, every single time. And so they're waiting for God to come rescue them, to rescue them. And they start to perceive this God's going to just come in and take everybody out. And they hope for that because that's what they're learning from culture. And culture is beginning to influence their view of God, all the while the scriptures are showing them who God is. You guys following me? I'm almost done. And then Jesus shows up and he lives his whole life and he gathers the groups of disciples. Now, there were lots of people claiming to be Messiah during that time who were gathering groups of disciples. I mean, there's actually been books written about it by Islamic people who are saying this is why the Jesus thing doesn't matter because this was happening. But the reality is, amongst all of that, there was this guy named Jesus Who did the same thing. And he preached a message. That people gravitated to. And he healed. And he touched people. And he sought the the weak and the lowly. And he never did take over like they thought he would take over. He said I'm here to do something more. And then they killed him. And in the midst of all that. One really, and I'm not going into it this time, another time if you need it. One really historically proven act happened. And it doesn't matter what world religion you exist in. This guy named Jesus was crucified on a cross. And then, a couple weeks later, after people said he had risen from the dead... He appeared before 500 people. And when he appeared before those 500 people, they watched him ascend into the sky. You don't have to believe Jesus is God at that point. It's just the thing that happened. It's a thing that historians, scholars, Bible scholars, atheists alike have studied it and found that whether or not you believe this about Jesus. And I probably should have went into it a little longer, but this it would be like an hour long and you would be exhausted. That event happened. And it sounds a lot like this guy who was either a raving lunatic or who he says he was rose from the dead. And so John, after all that happens, knowing that his people have been looking for a savior, knowing that God has called this life of peace to us and that we've existed in captivity as Israel for thousands of years But but God keeps showing up, keeps showing up, keeps showing up and keeps asking us to live a certain way. Now that John has seen this Jesus, he says, in the beginning was the capital W word of God. In the beginning was Jesus. And the word was with God. And Jesus Was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Jesus. And without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. In Jesus was life. And that life was the light of men. And then he changes tense some. And the darkness has not overcome it. For someone in the Hebrew tradition to pick up that and read that, in the beginning, they would go back to this ancient poem and they would hear a claim being made by a man who, who witnessed a man rise from the dead. A man who claimed to be God. And they would say a claim that said. He's that guy. Who created it all. And you can go with it. Or not. But that's the claim. And the premise of it all. Starts with. He rose from the dead. And since he rose from the dead. We're going to improved himself. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning and we're going to say. In the beginning. Jesus created the heavens and the earth. Now that sounds great for apologetics. Good job. We win. Trump card. Christians are the best, right? Or. There's something super applicable for us to think about. If it's true that that was Jesus, and I'm not talking about you being told God was mad at you and Jesus had to make him happy, so God killed Jesus so that you could be happy. I'm not talking about what we learn about who Jesus is from theologies and theories of atonement, of which there's about 50 of them. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the claim that Jesus was the one who created the world, if That is something that resonates with us. If that's something that we can say, okay, I can make that connection. If John's going to make that connection, I can make that connection. Because it seems like Jesus has done the things to back it up. And even in my own mystical experience, I've experienced some weird, cool stuff in my encounters with God that I'm also going to credit to Jesus. Because that's where the word is walking me toward what we find is that the thing we need to know is this. Jesus was behind it all. And Jesus is behind it all. And Jesus will be behind it all. And so you find yourself in a circumstance And it could be good or it could be bad or it could be middle of the road. Jesus is behind it. I didn't say he's making it happen. I'm saying if it's good, it didn't come into existence without him. And if it's happening, even if it's not good, he's behind you in it and he's with you. There. That's the American consumerism approach, and it's fine. It works, because Jesus is behind it all. There's another approach as global citizens. Jesus is behind it all. And if Jesus is behind it all, then when we work toward the things of God in this world, When we see an injustice and we say, that's not right. That doesn't look like heaven. And Jesus told us to pray that heaven would come to this earth and it would be just like it is in heaven. When we see something that doesn't fit and we begin to work toward that. And as we dig into it, we're going to find on the backside of the thing we're digging into, Jesus is behind it and he's working. On it too. And he's been working on it. That's why your prayers get answered. Not because you said them a hundred times, not because you had the right faith, but because when you saw something not right, Jesus was behind it. And as you pressed into it with your, with your faith and action, you discovered that the divine creator of all things was working in ways that were way bigger than the ways you thought Jesus ought to be working. Which means sometimes like a reunification takes longer. Because Jesus was behind it working in the heart of a person to prepare them for the coming together. That's why sometimes a healing doesn't look the way we think it looks. And we, 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 we feel like all of God has failed when it ends in death or when Anna's L5 um, disc doesn't get just magically shoved back into space. Behind all of it... God is working to draw us to Himself. And when we're drawn to Christ, that's where we find healing. It doesn't look at all like we thought it would look. It doesn't feel at all like we thought it would feel. It never does. It's always full of more life, it's always full of more peace, it's usually full of more impact. And the stories go way further, whether or not it ended the way we wanted it to end. And John says about that, Jesus was behind it all, and the darkness does not overcome it. I hope I'm making sense. So here's what I have to say. And I'm not constantly, like, casting vision for Edison Chapel I don't want you to think that. It's just our shared experience. When we acquired this park, we very quickly learned that Jesus was behind it and had been working in not only people, but in that space to prepare it so that it could work. And the whole thing happened like that. Same with the housing. Same with the chess club. And so I don't get to stand up and share stories that say, look what happened and God met us because of our faith. What I get to say is when we saw something that didn't look like heaven and we stepped into it, we learned that God was already making it look like heaven because Jesus has been doing that since the very, 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 very very beginning. Here's the only tension point in all of that. The claim here from the Hebrew people is that it's Jesus, that it's their Jesus who came and taught them in their Jewish ways at the place that at the time was about the center of most of the world. There were other things happening in other other parts of the world But right then and right there, Jesus was up to something. He died. He rose from the dead. And then John says, it's always Jesus. It's always Jesus. All of it is Jesus. If it's good, if it's being created, if it's doing something in this world to make it look like God wants it to look, it's Jesus. And if you want to participate in that, then jump in. Because what you'll find is everything will be provided as you jump in. And sometimes your back will go out. And while your back is out, you'll read four books on how you're supposed to slow down and be drawn to Christ instead of trying to make everything happen. That's like my wife's experience right now. And I don't get to come to her and say, See babe, I've been telling you, slow down, have more faith. No. I just get to say, in this broken world that we live in, nothing good has ever come into existence that wasn't become a, because of Christ, which is what Dan said. And because we lean on that, We can ask for everything to be risen from the dead. Now, I don't know what that looks like for eternity. I have no idea. But I do know that Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, if I, Jesus, if I, the one who made everything and without me, nothing that was made, nothing was made without me, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go referencing his own authority, then I will be back to get you that you will be where I am. And according to John, we're always where Jesus is. So chew on that, friends, because the things we're trying to do in this neighborhood are what we have the margin or the bandwidth to apply ourselves to. We're not going to cast a big vision about how Edison Chapel is for the world, by the world, to the world. Look at us. We're great. We're going to say, Jesus, what have you called us to? And as we do that, we also trust that you're redeeming the rest of the world too. So I will ask you as we kind of finish up and have conversations with each other. Please share in your little groups. How do you see right now, if you try really hard, how do you see Jesus behind your circumstance? Because he is there. And how are you learning to open your eyes to see him?